take sin seriously, uh, it necessitates that as God's people, we also take sin seriously. And so we started working out some application for our church last week in the form of what accountability needs to look like within the context of this local church. So we've been trying over the past several months to uh, clarify what discipleship looks like, what we want discipleship to look like in this church, what discipleship entails at this church, emphasizing the fact that we want older believers teaching younger believers how to study God's word on their own, how to feed themselves, how to grow up uh, into maturity by knowing how to handle God's word themselves. And once that's attained, once there's a foundation of faith and the ability to grow on their own, uh, allowing that discipleship relationship to move more towards a post-discipleship relationship, wanting people to not have to rely so much on an individual teaching lessons to them, but equipping people to study God's word on their own. And now wanting to clarify where accountability fits into that. How does meeting with each other and encouraging each other to fight sin. What does that look like in our church? Why is it necessary? Um, And how do we approach it moving forward as a local church body? Last week I shared with you a couple of reasons for why accountability is necessary, and I wanted to give them to you in written form uh, again this week. So in your notes today, why is accountability necessary? Number one, sin is crouching at our door ready to attack. Sin is crouching at our door, ready to attack. We looked at Genesis 4-7 last week. God speaking with Cain, who has grown frustrated at God uh, over his lack of acceptance for his sacrifice. And God can can see that uh, jealousy and frustration towards Abel is brewing within Cain. And God cautions Cain and says, sin is crouching at your door, ready to devour you. What will you do to rule over it? So I challenged you last week as believers that we need to be aware that sin is ready to devour us. Sin is crouching at our door, that the enemy is deceitful. The enemy is walking about roaring like a, like a lion, ready to, uh, to attack us. What will we do to rule over our flesh? What will we do to rule over uh, temptation and sinful tendencies that we can identify in our own life? And I even had you last week write down your three biggest sin struggles. Where where does the enemy seek to attack you? What three specific ways do you struggle most? And then I challenged you with the question, how many people in your life know about those three areas? How many people are specifically praying for you about those three areas? How many people in your life are helping you fight those three areas in your life? Or do they remain personal, private, your own personal thing that you're trying to defeat on your own? Sin is crouching at our door. Sometimes temptations that we think we've never struggled with before and never would struggle with. We said that Cain probably at this point had never had thoughts or temptations to kill his brother. And and, and God says it's crouching at your door. It's ready to attack. It's ready to devour you. Cain's not even aware of it. And God cautions him and says, what will you do to rule over it? Secondly, sin is seeking to cling to us in our attempt to pursue Christ. We looked at Hebrews 12 last week, that sin wants to cling to us, drag us down, hinder us in our pursuit of Christ. So if sin is crouching at our door ready to attack, if it's, if it's seeking at every opportunity to cling to us, to attack us, to drag us down, Number three, sin is best defeated 
with a team effort. We saw this last week as we looked at Ecclesiastes, Galatians, and Hebrews, and James. That what God gives us in Scripture is a, is a prescription for how to defeat sin. And the way he prescribes it to us is that it's done best through a team effort. Ecclesiastes, we looked at last week, talked about how dangerous it is to be a person of isolation who doesn't have people there to pick him up when he falls. That, that having somebody, two is better than one, but that ultimately even three is better than two. That support system to encourage uh, in the fight against sin. We looked at Galatians and our responsibility to bear the burdens of each other. Hebrews, the necessity, the need that we have for someone to speak truth into our life so that sin does not deceive us and harden our hearts. That's what Hebrews chapter 3 talks about. That if we're not careful... If we're not careful, if we isolate ourselves, if we don't have people speaking truth into our life, if we're not being open with ourselves and confronting uh, lies that we're starting to believe about sin, our hearts can become hardened to sin. And when it all comes out, the person is so far gone, so entrapped into their sin that it becomes very difficult to pull them out. It's the regular, normal, ordinary means of how God changes us. Using other people. Accountability. Using other people. Daily exhortation, Hebrews 3 talks about. In the ESV study Bible, it says, Connection with the community of faith. Connection with a community of faith, a local church, is essential for both progress and sanctification and perseverance in the faith. Connection with a local believing body is necessary if you're going to progress in your sanctification and if you're going to persevere in your faith. Accountability is necessary because sin is so deadly. God takes sin seriously and we can express back to God that we also take sin seriously by setting up every possible parameter in our life to guard ourselves against it. A God who will kill over sin is a God who takes sin seriously. And as we see that revelation in Scripture, how can we not respond seriously as well by saying, if this is the type of behavior that angers God and brings his wrath, then I've got to take every measure possible to protect myself against it, knowing that it's crouching at my door ready to attack. What accountability is not, or at least it shouldn't be, because sometimes it becomes this. So what accountability should not be? Number one, it's not a fear tactic to stop sinning. Accountability should not be used as a fear tactic to get people to stop sinning. Nor is it to be a performance tactic to please man or to impress God. Too often times, that's what accountability relationships become. We meet with people for the purpose of, of having them uh, encourage us to confess our sins so that we can be prayed for. And too often it turns into a, a fear tactic of not wanting to have to, uh, to confess and be open and honest about failures with somebody. And we're not turning from sin for the right reasons. We're turning because we're fearful of what man might say to us or what man might would do to us. And then secondly, too oftentimes it becomes a performance tactic. I want to, uh, to impress so-and-so who I meet with as my accountability partner. I want to do better in my Christian life so that they'll think better of me. 
And that's not what accountability is to be. It's not what Scripture is describing. It's not a performance tactic to try to impress each other, to try to, um, to please each other. It's certainly not a performance tactic to impress God. So what is accountability? If it's not those things, when we're talking about accountability here now as, as a church at Sovereign Hope, what are we meaning by that term, accountability? First in your notes there, accountability is our church's effort to pursue sanctification as we run together from sin and towards righteousness. Accountability is our church's effort to pursue sanctification as we run together from sin and towards righteousness. You'll remember our definition definition for sanctification that we've used in the past. Sanctification is progressively us becoming less sinful and more Christ-like. There's a twofold process. It's not just becoming less sinful where we stop doing certain things. It's that we become Christ-like. It's that we start to become known for the things that we're doing just as much as for the things that we're not doing. I was uh, meeting with Adam's uh, uncle, Rodney, who's visited our church several times over the past few weeks. And we were talking this week about the church and how sad it is that Christians too often times are known for the things that they are against far more than they are known for the things that they are for. We're known for the sins that we hate, things that we don't do, things that we potentially, uh, unfortunately, look down on other people for doing. We're known for the things that we hate, for the things that we're against, but too often times we are not known for the things that we are for, for the things that we are, are about. Accountability is our church's effort to, to decrease sin, to stop doing certain behaviors, to, to turn from wickedness, but also to be Christ-like, to be known for, for righteousness, to be known for the things that, that God is concerned about, that God reveals to us in his word. In 2 Timothy 2.22, we get this picture, this, this threefold picture of what it means for a Christian to run. In 2 Timothy 2.22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And look at that last part. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's not just do this by yourself. It's not, Paul doesn't tell Timothy, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness. And then in verse 22, he says, do these things. Flee from sin, flee from sin, turn from sin, pursue righteousness along with others, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there's an aspect where we run from something, where we run to something, and there's a group of people that we're running with in the process. So we run from sin, we run towards righteousness, and we run together in that race. We find other people who are like-minded, who have a desire to fight sin, to turn from sin, to run from youthful passions, and to pursue righteousness, and we run together. We run together. We fight together. Secondly, accountability is our church's effort to take sin seriously. By giving an account to each other and then walking together to the throne of God's grace. Accountability is our church's effort to take sin seriously. 
by giving an account to each other and then walking together to the throne of God's grace. Which means accountability is not just, here's all my dirty laundry, got that out, whew, I feel better, let's go home now. Accountability is us giving an account to each other, sharing our struggles, sharing where we need prayer, sharing where we're being defeated at times, sharing it with a brother or sister in Christ who can pray for us, who can encourage us, who can help us hold fast to our confession of hope, who can help walk us to the throne of God's grace where we can experience forgiveness, where we can experience the removal of guilt. Because sometimes we get so bogged down in our sin that we lose sight of the gospel. We lose sight of God's grace. We lose sight of the fact that Christ has accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. Sometimes we need somebody sitting there across the table from us to remind us of some of the basic principles of Christianity, to remind us of the basic truths of the gospel. So accountability is our church's effort to take sin seriously by giving an account to each other, but not just airing out our dirty laundry, sharing our struggles with each other, and then walking together to the throne of God's grace where we can experience regular confession and forgiveness from the one who loves us and has bought us and purchased us into a relationship with him. The purpose of accountability, in your notes there, it's to attack the why as much as the what in our fight against sin. The purpose of accountability is to attack the why as much as the what in our fight against sin. Accountability is not just meant to be a support system where you try to get me to stop doing something. That's part of it. There's certainly behaviors that Christians get involved in that need to stop. That God condemns, that God says a Christian is to have no part in this. There are some actions that an accountability partner looks at that person and says, you have got to stop this. It's not an option. It has got to stop immediately. But the stopping of the action is not the end goal of the accountability. We need people to help speak truth into our life so that we understand the why am I doing this? If we believe, and we've talked about this, if we believe that God reveals the best life possible for us to live, and that's what we believe about his commandments, that God hasn't just arbitrarily come up with some do's and don'ts that he thought would be good for us, that he created life, and the way that he designed life to be enjoyed is by following his His list of commandments, his list of instructions. It's how to enjoy creation. And if we truly believe that, when we step into some type of sinful act, we are believing a lie that we say we don't believe. We're saying that we believe God's commands are right and good. And then when we violate those commands, we're obviously believing something differently. We're saying, this is better for me. This is a better option for me. And we need people that can speak truth into our life to help us examine the why are you doing this? Not just the what are you doing, but why? What is the motivation behind your sin? What is the motivation for you to step out of relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who has orchestrated life for you to enjoy, has given you the instruction manual for how to enjoy it? Why would you not follow those instructions? What lies are you believing? The goal of accountability is for us to live in the light faithfully. To live in the light 
faithfully by exposing every attempt of our flesh to live in the light faithfully by exposing every attempt of our flesh to harbor sin in darkness. To live in the light faithfully by exposing every attempt of our flesh to harbor sin in darkness. We talked about this last week, that, that accountability is simply us bringing sin into the light. It's saying, I'm not going to allow my sin to remain in the corner, to remain in darkness, to remain hidden, where only I know about it. And it grows in power. It grows in strength. We referenced uh, the Hobbit movie last week and how uh, the good guys get together and they say, something is brewing in the darkness and it's gaining power. And it will not show itself in the light until it has gained enough power. It wants to remain hidden. It wants to remain in the shadows. And that's how our sin is. If our sin can remain in darkness, remain in shadows, it grows in power. We grow more and more enslaved to it. And unfortunately, too oftentimes, when it's finally exposed, when it finally comes to public knowledge, someone has become so enslaved to it, it's almost impossible to rescue them from it. They've believed a lie for too long, and nobody was speaking truth to them about that lie. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about the danger of, of living in the shadows of darkness with our actions. In John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to the God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it talks about the need for us to be children of the light, children of the day. People who are coming to the light to have our works exposed, to have our actions exposed, so that we can be free from sin, so that sin doesn't continue to crouch at our door ready to attack. So that we don't harbor sin and allow it to, to fester and grow in its power over our life. We're the type of people who walk to the light. We meet people in the light and we're able to walk to the throne of grace. Constantly experiencing forgiveness and removal of guilt and finding God's grace and the peace that comes from it. What should accountability look like? We've seen what accountability is. It's our effort to pursue sanctification together. We're running from sin. We're running towards righteousness. It's our effort to take sin seriously. We want to attack the why as much as the what. We want to live in the light. Expose every attempt to harbor sin. But what does that look like on a regular basis? We looked at these verses last week, but I want to draw our attention to them again. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, I feel like these verses give us the pillars of what we want to talk about for what our accountability times need to look like as a church family. In Hebrews chapter 10, chapter 10 verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Then in James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's, there's four pillars that I want to give us for uh, our time together for accountability. Number one is meet together. Meet together. Number two, confess together. Confess together. Number three is pray together. And number four is encourage together. So meet together, confess together, pray together, and encourage together. So we talked last week about forming these accountability groups in our church. Uh, and, and, I, and I gave you the groups last week, what, what I foresee those looking like. Um, because if we wait for, for groups to just form, uh, it, it, it'll, it'll take forever. 
Um, and so I gave you a working list for us to start with. Things aren't working. Your group's not going to be able to meet together like it needs to. Then we're going to adjust the groups. But I, but I wanted us to, to have a list to at least start with. Um, so, we, so we started working on that last week. The idea of meeting together with these groups. Um, and the expectations that, that I would have for these times together in these groups is that we would focus on these four pillars. First of all, that we would be intentional about making time to meet together. And then when we're meeting together, that our time is filled with confessing together, praying together, and encouraging together. I told you that we weren't going to have leaders over the groups. We're not putting super spiritual guy in this group. You're responsible to fix everybody in your group kind of thing. That, that I tried to find people whose paths are already crossing regularly, who uh, potentially would have the least resistance to meet together, who already have friendships that have formed, so that hopefully there's already some honesty that's already taking place in interaction, so that this hopefully just becomes a natural overflow of relationships that are already present. That we're intentional about meeting together. And then in that time together, we're focused on confession prayer and encouragement, that that's what the group needs to, to continually call the attention back to, that, that we're not there to talk about football, we're not there to talk about other things, that we're there to be serious about our fight against sin, that we're confessing, praying, and encouraging. So because there's no leader, everybody needs to kind of be aware of what are we supposed to do when we meet together? Well, we're supposed to, we're supposed to meet together to, to pray, to confess, to encourage. Let's talk about these individually real quick. In meeting together, I told you that, that our expectation, my desire, is that you're at least meeting together one time per month. One time as your group. That your group decides, okay, this day of the week is best for us. This time of the day is best for us. And we're going to commit to this day, the first one, the second one, the third one, the, whatever it is, each month. That's going to be our time to meet. We said secondly that all of our women and all of our men are going to seek out a time to meet together. So technically, we're getting together for accountability purposes twice a month. One time in our small little groups. The second time all together for the purpose of group encouragement, where we're sharing things that are going on in our groups, victories that we're seeing in our own life, making suggestions of encouragement for how others can find victory with maybe the same struggles. Because I shared with you last week, if I'm meeting with so-and-so for uh, accountability about this issue, and then I'm also meeting with so-and-so about the same issue, one of them's struggling still, one of them's finding victory, I need to bring the two of those guys together so that victory guy can talk to struggling guy about how he's finding victory. Especially if it's a struggle that I'm not specifically dealing with at that time. So what we envision those group times being is a time of sharing victories. Sharing opportunities for people to grow in struggles that they're facing in their groups. So it's kind of a rally, kind of a huddle. Uh, it's taking our pizza and theology nights and our ladies' dinners and, and reinterpreting them a little bit and being a little bit more intentional with how we're spending time uh, in those settings. And so we had the girls talking last week about when that was going to work for them. The guys were talking. I think the girls had tried to nail down maybe the, the first Tuesday of the month. Is that what y'all talked about? Uh, the guys were looking at a Wednesday night, probably the third Wednesday, so that we don't fall on the same week as the ladies or the next week. So there's kind of a, a gap in there 
uh, for family purposes. And those would take place here at the anchor. Um, where we get together, we're still going to have that pizza and theology type discussion. We're going to bring the ladies in on that. I've talked with Denise some about uh, trying to incorporate that same discussion that the guys are involved in into what the girls are going to be doing, what the ladies are going to be doing. But then having the, the remainder of that night focus on praying together, encouraging each other as a group, and then probably even splitting up into those small groups to kind of wrap the night up. Kind of a, let's pray together as we get ready to leave in our smaller accountability groups. Meeting together, being intentional to say, okay, I'm going to value these two times each month. I'm going to make sure that my schedule works so that I can be there for these two times, these two meetings per month. Secondly, not only do we meet together, but we confess together. We confess our sins and we reconfess our hope in Christ. As we hear accounts of sin going on in each other's lives, we're faithful to give accounts of God's grace to each other. Again, that it's not just an opportunity for everybody to share their dirty laundry and for it to be a time of discouragement where it's like, man, we all stink. Like, we are not good Christians. Like, all we do, it seems like, is sin. That it's an opportunity for the group to rally together and turn our attention to God's grace. The forgiveness that comes through that relationship that we have with him. Encouraging one another to continue to fight sin. To reconfess the fact that we love Christ more than anything that this world has to offer. So it's not just a, here's what I did. It's, here's what I've done. And I need your encouragement to turn from it. Help turn my attention back to the focus that I should have in my life. I'm going to share some uh, some resources on on the city this week um, and on the Matt 28 website because we did a whole discussion a couple years ago on on confession, the discipline of confession. Uh, But I wanted to share a couple of things from uh, those lessons that we did. Uh, What is confession? When we're talking about confessing sin, the definition of the Greek word is simply to say the same thing. To say the same thing. So in the context of confessing sin, we are saying the same thing about our sin that God says about it. So when we confess our sin, it's not just admitting, I did something. Confessing our sin is saying, I did something that God hates. And I should hate it too. It's saying the same thing about our sin that God says about it. It's not just an admittance of what I've done. It's confessing that what I did is wicked It's evil. There's no excuse for it. True confession and repentance really involves me admitting it was absolutely unnecessary for me to do it. It's an admittance that what I did was wrong and I should not have done it. I did not have to do it. I chose to do it. That's what confession is. It's admitting wrong. It's admitting sin is what God says it is. And taking responsibility for it. There's different aspects of confession that we see in scripture. We confess for judicial purposes or for judicial forgiveness. That means that that we confess uh, our sin that one initial time for salvation. Where we turn from sin, turn to Christ. And we are judicially saved. Meaning that we are declared righteous. We are saved. So we don't believe at this church that we continue to confess to maintain our salvation. We don't keep our salvation by confessing sin. I had friends in high school that believed that, that if they, they failed to confess a sin before they died, that they would spend eternity in hell for it. And so at night they would spend time trying to think back every sin they committed all day long. 
At least that's what they said they were supposed to do. How often they did that, I don't know. But we do not confess our sin to keep our salvation, to maintain our salvation. We confess sin and we are saved. But we do continue to confess sin more for parental forgiveness. Uh, the, 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 the maintenance of relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the avenue that God has designed for us to deal with the guilt of what we do. You get that? Like, we're not confessing sin. We're certainly not making God aware of what we've done. He knows what we've done. We're certainly not confessing sin so that he will save us again. The Bible says that our sins are forgiven. So in a sense, it's not even for the need of forgiveness. From a judicial standpoint, we are saved. It's, a, uh, it's the avenue that God gives us uh, to, to maintain our relationship with him properly. And I would even argue that confession of our sin is more of a cleansing process for us where the guilt is removed from us. Because you know, like me, when you've done something, there is such relief when it's out <coughs> and you know that it's forgiven from somebody that, that you're friends with. There's that kind of weight that hang, hangs over you of things aren't right between me and so-and-so. And then once that, that's confessed and there's forgiveness that takes place, this guilt is removed and restoration happens within that relationship. God gives us the discipline of confession more for us than for what he needs. He has forgiven us already. Past, present, future, he forgives us for sins that we don't even know that we've committed. It's an opportunity for our guilt to be removed. We see this in Psalm chapter 32. We see the joy that comes from confession, the removal of guilt. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He's talking about that, that guilty feeling of being in sin. His bones were wasting away. And then verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters... They shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we confess for both that initial salvation and for continual removal of guilt in our daily life. Number three, we pray together. We pray together. We admit that, hey, I'm not qualified to fix you here. I appreciate you being open and honest and sharing with me your struggles. I want to encourage you as best I can. But in praying together, we are admitting that there's no counsel that I can offer you that will fix you. Absent from the Holy Spirit working in your life. There are no magic words that I can say to make you not want to sin anymore. There's no magical way for me to say it. 
There's no magical way for me to bring words to you, to bring scripture to you, to where all of a sudden it's, oh, now I'm not going to do this anymore. None of us have that type of ability. Absent from the Holy Spirit, our words fall on deaf ears. Prayer is us admitting that I'm not Superman and I can't fix you in this situation. Now, too oftentimes, some of us in our spiritual pride, in our own progression and our own growth, we think, oh, if I could just get my hands on so-and-so, I would know what to do. I would know how to handle that. I would know how to talk to them. None of us have the ability and the power to change people. It's God who removes stone hearts and put fleshy hearts in people. It's the Holy Spirit who radically changes and, and, and brings sanctification into the life of somebody. Now, does he use us? Does he use us as instruments? Absolutely. Does the Holy Spirit want to do it without our involvement? Absolutely not. We're called to bear each other's burdens. We're called to confess and pray for one another. The Holy Spirit uses those things to change people. And so in praying together, not just confessing and encouraging, but in praying together, we are humbly coming before our Father saying, everything that we're doing here doesn't work unless you're involved in our hearts. So we meet together, we confess together, we pray together, and we encourage together. We need gospel reminders. We need to be reminded from each other. It helps free us from guilt, discouragement, and legalism. Too often times, we drown in our guilt, we drown in our discouragement because of our failures, and then we try to fix it all through legalistic mindset of, I'm going to start doing things better and God will love me again. And that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says we are forgiven. The gospel says we were loved on our worst day possible when we were enemies of God. Which means if God loved you to the fullest on your worst day, he certainly still loves you on, on the day that you're messing up now in a relationship with him. We need gospel reminders so that we don't drown in our guilt and our discouragement. We need gospel reminders from each other when we fail to see it. Some verses to jot down, Romans 5, 1 through 2, Hebrews 4, 16, 1 John 1, 9. They're all positive reinforcement about the fact that God forgives us. There's no condemnation for believers. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Hebrews 4, 16. 1 John 1, 9. And so as we meet together, confess together, pray together, and encourage together, the goal is for us to persevere to the end. To hold on to our hope. Now, going back to that encourage together, in, in Hebrews 10, I think we miss this sometimes. In Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. For us to encourage each other in these accountability times, it's going to require some thought on us. How am I going to encourage Ben when I meet with him? I know what's going on in Ben's life. I know what he's struggling with. Uh, he's confessed that to me. He needs encouragement. How can I encourage Ben? That requires some thought on my process. That means that I don't just get to show up and meet, confess my sins, hope somebody's there to encourage me, but not really bring anything to the group. 
that I'm going to have to put some thought into how do I encourage so-and-so who's in my group, who I know what they're going through, I know the struggles that they're facing, I know the temptation that's rearing its head in their life. How can I encourage them? That's going to require some thought on you. Which means, kind of goes back to your own personal need to be growing spiritually so that you can help others in this church grow spiritually. When we come to accountability groups simply for what I can get from it, it falls apart, it fails. And and the system that we described before where me and others are meeting with people and and it feels like that. We we talked last week, the person who's there to be like that that, that, uh, main counselor, main fixer of problems grows discouraged and tired. Because they're not getting anything from the relationship. I'm here, to, I'm here to help you. I'm here to encourage you. But rarely do we ever talk about what's going on in my life and what I'm struggling with. In order for this to work, you've got to come ready to pour into the people in your group as well. Not just for you to come and get uh, encouragement for things that you're struggling with. How do we fight sin with accountability? First, we develop roadblocks. Secondly, we confront lies. We develop roadblocks, and we confront lies. In parentheses next to develop roadblocks, it's behavior-focused. There's an aspect of accountability where we help develop roadblocks for each other, and we focus on behavior. But then there's also an aspect where we confront lies. And in parentheses there, you can put it's belief-focused. Behavior-focused and belief-focused. I want to read you something. I want to read you something real quick. I don't know if I said that right the first time. Um, something that I came across in a book that I was reading this week. I think either Tyson or Adam has used this analogy before. I'm not sure. Um, in one of their sermons. I need to remember where it is. There it is. I want to look at two stories to see both aspects of of accountability here and how both work. Uh, But I think they're both needed uh, for it to work. It says, in Greek mythology, they are called the sirens, and sailors told stories about their seductive song. These creatures of great beauty sat in a flowery meadow on a small rocky island in the Mediterranean, divine beings with voices that could enchant any sailor. Ancient storytellers described their siren song, a beautiful music that compulsively lured sailors toward the islands where they met their doom. Pornography and other sexual media online have a similar effect on us. For many men and women, once we come within range of it, we become entranced, and it becomes difficult to look away. We don't intend to crash the ship of our lives on the rocky shore of lust, but the siren song calls to us. How did ancient seafarers get by the sirens without being overcome by their songs? Two ancient myths give us a glimpse. The first is Odysseus. Homer's Odyssey tells us of the adventures of Odysseus, one of the champions of the Trojan War. In the Odyssey, he is counseled by a goddess to beware of the sirens. She warns him that if he should come within range of their sweet song, they will draw him to his death. Beware, she says, all around the island there is a great heap of dead men's bones tokens of the siren's power at her insistence odessus plugs the ears of his fellow sailors with wax and because he wants the pleasure of hearing the sirens for himself he commands his men to bind him halfway up the mast of the ship standing upright 
He tells them further, if I beg you to set me free, then bind me more tightly still. As Odysseus's ship sails within an earshot of the island, suddenly the wind falls into a dead calm. The sirens see Odessa's coming. Come here, they sing, and listen to our voices. No one ever sailed past us without staying to hear the enchanting sweetness of our song. Odessus is overcome by the enchantment and demands that he be set free. But his men bind him with stronger ropes until they are out of the siren's range. Disaster is averted. The next is about a man named Orpheus. Apollyonis of Rhodes also writes about the sirens in the voyage of the Argo, the tale of Jason's voyage to find the golden fleece. A centaur warns Jason about the sirens, and sure enough, the sailors encountered them. As a fresh breeze floats over their ship, they see the island. The sirens' watchful eyes spot Jason's ship and begin to sing. The sailors are overcome with desire and are ready to cast their ropes from the boat to the shore. Suddenly, one of the heroes on board, the legendary musician Orpheus, pulls out his stringed lyre and begins to play. His music overwhelms the voice of the sirens as the sailors' ears are filled with Orpheus's tune. And the ship sails by the island without incident. There's two aspects of accountability here. You have one where the man has to be bound against his fleshly desires. Everything inside of him says he wants something, but he, in his right thinking, has demanded his friends to do everything necessary to keep him from it. But that in and of itself is not the end goal of accountability. It's not just to stop behavior. It's not just to create a a church of people who want to sin, but feel like we can't. That we've put up so many parameters, we've we've got so much protection in our life, we're not going to sin. We've got people that hold us accountable that say, you better not sin. But in our hearts, we're saying, man, I really want to sin. I really want to still do these things. The goal is to get to the, the second story, where we are in love with something better and different than the seductiveness of sin. Now, it's necessary to have both, I believe, because sometimes I stop listening to what's better and I start listening to sin. And if I don't have the binding around me, then I walk away from the ship and I go after the sirens. So there is the necessary parameters in place where we say, "Okay, let's don't make any provision for the flesh. Let's don't be so proud to say, well, I can handle this. I can handle this. This isn't a problem. I like Jesus more than these things so they can be in my life. It's us saying, no, let's go ahead and get that out of the way so that if I ever stop listening to the tune of Jesus, it's not available to me. So you need to be bound to the ship like the first guy, Odessus, but he needs to be listening to the tunes of Orpheus and saying, man, I'm bound, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go running after sin. I don't want to run after the things of this world. What I'm listening to is better. What I'm submitted to is better. It's two aspects of accountability. It's developing roadblocks, the first one, and it's confronting lies, underdeveloping roadblocks. What I mean by that, it's, it's being intentional to ask people the details of what they're struggling with when it comes to sin. So it's what time of day or week are you being most tempted? Is there a specific day? Is there a specific time during the week where temptation is strongest in your life? Where do you find yourself being tempted? Are there choices that you make prior to your temptation that make it come on you? Is there anything that you do to provoke the temptation? 
Are you putting yourself in situations where the temptation then comes? Are there any exit ramps? Are there any ways to get off the road towards that temptation before it comes? It's being intentional in these groups to set up parameters for protection. It's how can I make no provision for the flesh? How can I remove provision to struggle in the areas that I'm confessing to you? And then secondly, it's having people confront lies. Sin is always a result of exchanging truth for a lie. Romans 1, 23 through 25 talks about exchanging truth for a lie. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They exchanged the truth that God said, I'm your provider. I've given you everything to eat, everything that you need in the garden. I'm a good God who wants what's best for you. They exchanged that truth for Satan's lie. Satan says God wants to hold you back. God does not want what's best for you. If you eat of this tree, you'll be like him. They exchanged the truth for a lie. Anytime we sin, we're exchanging truth for a lie. It's what we talked about earlier. If we believe that God's commands are good, to then disobey the commands means that we're believing a lie instead of the truth that we claim to believe. We have a responsibility to stop serving ourselves, stop being focused on ourselves, and serve other people. It's a lie that we fall into that, that we're to be concerned about ourselves and, and, and have our eyes and attention focused on what's going on in our life. We battle these lies by serving other people. Before we get to the application, I want to give you real quick, I'm not going to really comment on these, but um, some reasons that accountability fails. Because I know some of you have never been in what we would call an accountability group. Others of you have been in multiple accountability groups. And you could attest to uh, ways that each one of those have fallen short of what they should be. But I wrote down some, some ways that I've seen accountability fail in my own life in groups that I've tried to be a part of. Number one, partners are absent. They're unfaithful to meet. This won't work in our church unless everybody makes a commitment to be a part of it. And again, this is for members in our church. So when we, when we listed out the groups, it was for people that are, that are uh, members of Sovereign Hope. So we didn't accidentally leave anybody out. Um, if your name's not on the list, it's because you haven't joined with our church. You haven't said, you know what, I want to run with this church. I want to run to righteousness. I want to run from sin. And I want to run together with these people. The moment you decide to do that, then you incorporate, you get incorporated into our church life. And part of the benefits of membership here, part of the way that we try to draw people into membership is that you get the benefits of accountability and discipleship. Partners are absent. Accountability fails when people are unfaithful to meet. Secondly, when confession is seen as the goal, not change. When all the group becomes is a time to confess how I failed this week and how I failed this week and how I failed this week. And it becomes uh, routine to confess the same thing over and over. I did it again, did it again, still struggling with this, still struggling with this. And there's no effort to change. The group simply becomes a time to confess what I've done. Third, when it becomes law-keeping, when law-keeping is seen as the goal, not heart change, it still falls short if all we've done is change behavior. If all we are is bound to a ship... And we can't get to the sirens because we're tied up. But we want to be there. We still haven't reached our goal. If it's just about law keeping, it still falls short of the radical change that Christ describes to us. Fourthly, when personal responsibility is removed. Accountability fails when the group is expected to fix you. When you don't take responsibility for the choices that you're making outside of that group. You need to own your rebellion 
It's only when you take ownership of your sin that you can truly be held accountable for it. It's not your accountability group's job to change you. Fifthly, when expectations aren't met because they weren't clearly given. I've seen this happen before where where somebody confesses something, asks for encouragement, and they expect to be encouraged in a certain way, but they don't ever tell you about it. Well, I just naturally thought that you would have called me when I when I texted you and said I was struggling with something. When I when I texted you and said pray for me, I just assumed you would have followed that up with a phone call. Whereas I might be sitting there saying, well, man, I prayed for you as soon as I got that text message. Yeah, but what I meant for you to do was to call me. And you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Accountability groups fail when somebody's not meeting expectations that honestly were never really given. It was just assumed that you would know it. Let your partners know what you want from them in your own fight against sin. How they can challenge you. How they can encourage you. How they can help you rule over your sin. Next, when honesty is not valued, it certainly doesn't work if everybody shows up and says, I didn't sin this week. I'm not struggling with any sin. When everybody is still holding their lives in the darkness, accountability fails. And lastly, when the motivation is strictly based on programming. Obviously, we run the risk of asking you to be a part of accountability by assigning you to groups structuring it like a program. Some of us need that type of structure. For some of us, this never happens unless somebody says, this is the group that you're in, you're supposed to be meeting with them, we're going to hold you accountable to them. But this fails if it's strictly motivated. I'm only doing this because my pastor says I'm supposed to be in a group. It doesn't work. And only you can control the motivation for why you're a part of this and why you do this. But it will fail if you're simply showing up because you believe you've been told to do this. If the motivation is not for life change, to take sin seriously, if you don't believe that sin's crouching at your door ready to attack, that it wants to cling to you, and that God's uh, prescription for how to fight it is done best through a team effort, then it will fail. The application for us, are we willing to help bind our friends to the mast of their faith and help fortify their lives against temptation? Are we willing to be that person for people in this church? Are we willing to learn how to play the gospel promises of God like an instrument, helping them set their eyes on things above? It's that two-headed aspect of accountability. I'm going to help you take sin seriously, and I'm going to help you make no provision for the flesh. I'm going to bind you to that ship. I'm going to bind you to your faith to where when, when you want to sin, it's not readily available to you. But I also want to learn how to play the promises of God to your ears that you, you, you start to have a decreasing desire for sin and an increasing desire for Christ in your life. It goes back to let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's going to look differently for each one of us. We're going to have to learn how to encourage one another to fight sin. We're going to have to learn what type of things encourage each other. And I'm willing to be on that journey with you as a church in these smaller settings where we make a commitment to fight sin together and treasure Christ above anything that this world has to offer. Let's pray together, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity for any feedback that you want to give me um, before we go. So let's pray.
God, I'm thankful that you have given us local churches like Sovereign Hope to be a part of where we can make a commitment to fight sin with each other. God, I know initially this is going to be difficult. At times it's going to be messy. At times it's not going to work the way that we want it to work and probably not the way you want it to work. God, we know this is going to be a learning process. But God, I believe that we have got to take sin seriously in this church if we're going to move forward as a church. And that we've got to spread the responsibility across the entire body and not just have one, two, or three people trying to hold everybody accountable to their struggles. God, I'm thankful that you, you give wisdom. God, I'm thankful for the wisdom that I've gained from other pastors in this area that I've sought out for wisdom about how to incorporate this into our church. God, I'm thankful for their willingness to invest in me, to sacrifice time in their schedule, to meet with me and help answer questions that I have about our church. God, I pray that as we move forward as a church that we would take sin seriously. And that the way that we would do that is that we would make a commitment to run, to run from sin, to run from, to run from the wickedness and to run from our flesh, to run to righteousness. But God, I pray that we would, we would destroy the individual mindset that so oftentimes we have about that. We would commit to run together. As Paul told Timothy, God, I pray that we would run with those who long to follow you with pure hearts. Give us wisdom as a church in knowing how to do this in a way that honors you, in a way that's not built on fear, in a way that's not built on legalism. God, I pray that you would grow us as a church to where we are listening to the music, to the instrument of Christ as we wait for his return. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, immediate uh, application that I asked for you guys last week was to to meet with, to talk with the people that you're in a group with to find out if your group's going to work as far as schedules, finding a time to meet. I haven't heard back from anybody, so I'm asking if you've already done that and you've you've got feedback to give that to me, to send me a message on the city. If you haven't talked with anybody in your group, to, to make that a point of emphasis this week, to find out, hey, what's your schedule like? Here's what my schedule's like. When can we start meeting? I told you that in every group, I believe there's somebody who can take the initiative to call people. I'm not going to tell you who that is because I don't want designated leaders in this group. You can figure out who in your group is supposed to be calling people and making sure that, that you all are going to be able to meet um, and, and if you're wondering if it's you, it probably is you in your group. Um, so do it. Find out what your group schedules are like. Real quick, I'll give you the groups again, um, just so you can be aware, because I know some of you weren't here last week. Um, and again, these aren't set in stone, but I can't change them without feedback from you guys. So um, anything that you need me to know, you're invited to tell me. Uh, it's Rachel, Maggie, and Sarah Vinson. Jordan, Caroline, Cortland, and Jessica, uh, Jim McLeod, Sarah Reed, Melissa, and Angela, uh, Miss Carolyn, Denise, and Sarah Moore, Andrea, Lauren, Tiffany, and Anna. And then for the guys, it's Dan, Dave, and Luke, Topi, Thomas, Alex, and Eric, Will, Andrew, Kyle, and Jesse, Tom Mercer, Adam Long, and Blant, and then uh, me, McLeod, Tyson, Ben, and Chris. And again, my group is based on 
elder candidates and deacons. Um, so that's why my group has more in it, uh, because the pastor that I talked to said that um, I've got to prioritize accountability with the leadership of this church if, if our church is going to thrive. So it's um, kind of why it's divided that way. So any questions from this week, from last week, anything that needs clarification um, as we try to move forward as a church with this? We won't start our group get-togethers, our pizza theology, that, that, that thing until September. Um, we'll uh, use August as an opportunity to uh, hopefully start incorporating these groups. We won't try to meet together as a group, though, until um, September just so that we can get all this worked out. Um, one other thing I want to emphasize, we're saying to meet one time per month and then one time everybody but depending on your schedule, meet as many times as you guys work out and as you want to. Um, the one time a month is a minimum that we would want you guys to be meeting together, knowing that you would also hopefully meet together with the group. So technically two times you'll be with your groups. But <clears throat> if you're in a situation where, man, I'm not in leadership at the church, I don't have other meetings that I'm going to, I don't have other responsibilities, I can meet with my group every week, uh, and that's something that you guys want to do, then, man, we definitely would encourage that and uh, support you in that. Um, but we're asking that you at least find one time per month that your individual group can get together um, beyond the time that collectively the guys will gather and the girls will gather. Any questions or thoughts before we go today? Yep. Yeah, and that's that's something we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about this next week because um, one of the difficulties in me not being in all these guy groups is I've got to trust that these groups are going to be handled in, in a gospel-centered way where things like that aren't happening. So I'm gonna have to con- I'm gonna continue to emphasize that probably even next week and maybe even the week after what what needs to happen within these groups and how these groups uh, have to function for them to thrive. And that's definitely a big part of that is that. Um, what happens in these groups, things that are being confessed, have to stay within these groups uh, or else trust breaks down and, and, it, and, and the enemy takes what's meant to be a good thing and uses it in a destructive manner uh, where now people are, are, um, are, are having their, their issues exposed to other people who aren't in a relationship with them, who aren't actively praying with them and helping them fight against it. And yet it does become a source of uh, let's just talk about this so, um, you know, maybe it's motivated out of making myself look better or, or whatnot. So we've got to be careful with, with that type of thing. There will be other things that we'll talk about, too, that we've got to guard against for this to work. So definitely a good thought there. Any other thoughts or feedback, questions? How specific about the sin? I think that's going to grow within the group, like comfortability, um, trust level, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I would hope that we would get to the point where in your groups, like, uh, you can be as honest as you want to be about it and not feel like. But I, I know there will be reservations about struggles and issues type of thing um, until that, that level of trust is built. And, and And these groups are meant to be 
like, long term. Like, we're not going to, okay, let's switch it up now, and we'll just flip people around. And it's like, whoa, like, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have been so honest. You know, like, like we intend for these things to be, like, once they're set in stone, we intend for them to be set in stone. I know we've flipped you guys around constantly with C groups and stuff. That's not the case with this. Like, this is meant to be, hey, when you're, while you're here at Sovereign Hope, this is your group, and we want you fully invested in it. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm not looking forward to, uh, that's why I'd like, if, I mean, if there's some, anything immediate, right, yeah, if there's anything immediate, then I'd want to deal with it before we even start, so if you're like, ah, like this, you think we're friends, but we're, we struggle with our, I mean, I mean, just come tell me, you know, like, so that we can get this worked out, because I don't want it to be something that's awkward, and it's like, man, I would have never picked this group, you know, I tried to, as best I could, select people that if given the option, they would probably choose some of these people to be in their group. Um, just because I've been in situations where I was told to be held accountable by this person, this person, and it's like, man, I don't want to be held accountable by these people. I just don't have any common interest. I don't have any knowledge of who they are. Um, so there's definitely some imperfections in this, and, and there's going to be some growing pains, and we're going to have to figure it out as we go. But... Um, you know, I'm willing to, to learn and, and be humble enough to admit that, like, I don't have all the answers right now, but I'm, I'm committed to figuring things out as we progress in this. Yep. Yeah, part of the reason that we wanted to go to this method was uh, too often people were relying on just one person. Like, I'm meeting with so-and-so for accountability, and if so-and-so can't get in touch with me or my schedule's busy for a couple of days, like, they're dying to meet with somebody and talk, and maybe I can't do it. And so part of the reason there's three to four in there is so that those conversations, those meetings can happen on the side. Uh, we still want to say that at least one time a month, y'all prioritize all of you getting together. But, um, yeah, like Adam and Tom, let's go, let's go meet for lunch and hang out and keep talking about what we were talking about. Like, absolutely. Like, I, I, wa- I would expect and hope that those things would happen constantly and that, um, you know, even outside those meetings, Tom calls Adam and says, hey, just want to let you know I'm praying for you. I know some of the stuff that you, you shared last time. Just wanted to kind of follow up with you and let you know that, you know, you're on my heart and your mind and I'm praying for you and, and see if there's any specific ways that I can continue to pray for anything change that kind of thing so yeah absolutely um, it shouldn't just be relegate relegated to if everybody in your groups together then those things can happen yep
Because we wouldn't have probably been friends if, if we did if we'd have just said, Man, we don't have nothing in common. <clears throat> so when we're together we just talk about Jesus because that's about all we have to <laughs> But when you have the most important thing in common, I mean it brings you together, so any other thoughts or feedback? Uh, when I hear back from all these groups that say we're going to find a time to meet. Right now we're at zero return rate. Uh, yeah, you can start doing that as long as once you've told me that, hey, we're, we found time. You know, as we continue to progress through this, we want to give you guys resources, uh, advice. We're gonna, I mean, we're gonna set up, uh, you know, an environment where, um, you know, like in my group, you know, we can share with the other groups. Like, man, this is stuff that we're doing. This is stuff that you may want to incorporate into your group. Uh, same for the ladies. Like, relying on some of the, the the stronger, mature ladies in our church to be able to share. Hey, this is stuff that's working in our group. We, you know, maybe you guys want to start doing this in your group because we didn't. Again, my group is is heavy on uh, guys that are in leadership in our church. So, I mean, naturally you think, well, let's divide Tyson into one group, Adam McLeod, Ben, Curry, like, let's divide them up. But what we found is, is that, that in order for us to be accountable as leadership, we've got to meet together. And you guys as the body of Christ are responsible to be able to encourage each other. It doesn't require a a church leader to be in your group for real growth to happen. And I think we want to tear down that mindset as well. Hurry up, pray and be done. All right. Uh, as you leave today, I encourage you to give in the back. Our giving box is back there. I encourage you to give as the Spirit leads you to give. I encourage you again, prioritize this week, uh, getting with your groups, uh, finding a time uh, to meet together, um, and, and giving some feedback to me about uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, we're ready to go kind of thing so that we can move forward with this. All right? Um, I did read it. I know you're not texting. All right. Um, Yep, we're done. You guys can go.